Russian President Vladimir Putin recently made demands concerning the payment for gas in rubles. This has fueled growing concerns about the gas supplies across Europe and has led to even greater volatility in the market. To delve into this rapidly evolving situation, my colleague Patrick speaks to Natasha Fielding and Justin Colley from Argus Media. My name is Pamela Log, and you're listening to the Energy Transitions Podcast. Welcome to this new Energy Markets Talk. The energy markets are going through unprecedented volatility. Energy security in Europe is making headlines and everybody's talking about their energy bill. So we have to talk about energy prices and about how they are evolving. To make sense of this all, we've invited Natasha Fielding, who covers European natural gas for Argus Media, and her colleague Justin Colley, who covers European electricity markets. Justin and Natasha, thanks for joining. Thanks very much for having us. A quick note to our listeners. This is actually the second time we are recording this podcast. The first time was a great talk about what's happening in European power and gas markets. But unfortunately, by the time we wanted to publish the podcast, the world had changed drastically because of what's happening in the Ukraine. That honestly, some of the points we discussed were just not that relevant anymore. So in case something crazy happens again, we are recording this on the 1st of April, 2022. Uh, Natasha, let's start with the gas markets. Today, 1st of April, is an interesting day because Putin has just demanded to be paid in rubles for uh, Russian gas supplies. And then I'm thinking, how likely is it that Russia will cut off gas to Europe entirely? So this has obviously been the question that has concerned not only people in the gas industry, but obviously has been hitting all the headlines escalating concerns about a disruption or even a stop to Russian gas flows have sent uh, European gas prices to even greater heights than what we had seen earlier in the winter. And Putin's announcement last week that he would oblige unfriendly countries, that is to say all of the EU, to pay for their gas in rubles going forward, added an extra layer to that uncertainty. Um, So the decree issued by Putin yesterday is rather a convoluted system, I would say, in which Putin has asked uh, European customers to have two special bank accounts with the Russian bank, Gazprom Bank. Um, They can pay in euros and dollars as normal into one account, um, so they wouldn't be breaching their contracts. And then Gazprom Bank would convert that currency into rubles, which goes into another account where the European customers would pay Gazprom for their supply. So the gas would be paid for in rubles, but European customers can continue to send euro and dollar payments to Gazprom. If if that sounds confusing, it's because it is quite a confusing system. And Putin included with this order a threat, basically, that if it's not complied with, then supplies will be cut off. And you've talked about influences on prices already. Of course, we have seen a crazy right end of last year in terms of gas prices. Can you take us through how prices have evolved the last months? 
Yeah, so with the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, European gas prices rose very sharply. They continued to rise and they hit a high point on the 7th of March where the price for front month delivery at the Dutch TTF hub hit over 207 euros per megawatt hour, which is extremely high. Prices fell off somewhat after that and they had been on a general downward trajectory until around last week when the news of this uh, ruble payments demand came out. They then resumed that upward trajectory and as of the end of March, the front month TTF gas price was at 122 euros per megawatt hour, which while still well off from that peak on the 7th of March is extremely high historically. Yeah. And if we look at the volatile prices and the threats uh, Putin is making, I can imagine gas supplies to Europe are changing. How big do you think LNG will become in the future for Europe? So LNG deliveries to Europe have been very strong for a few months now. And one thing to add is that there are obviously mounting fears of a disruption to Russian gas supplies to Europe. But as of now, that has not yet happened. So there continues to be an uninterrupted flow of Russian gas to Europe. So in addition to that, there has been an increase in LNG deliveries to Europe. And the weather has been generally quite mild. And all that means that there's actually been quite a bit of supply in Europe, uh, enough that there has been an early switch to storage injections across much of the region. And based on forward prices, it looks like LNG deliveries to Europe will continue to be strong because European hub prices are well above prices in Northeast Asia, which was traditionally, until kind of this winter, the premium buyer of LNG. Okay, thank you. The European gas storage levels, can you share on what the status is at the moment on those and what and how and when Europe will be able to refill those gas storage facilities? Yeah, so European gas storage sites hold less than they have done in previous years at this time of year. So inventories are below average, but that deficit to the average of previous years has been shrinking. Like I said, it's been, generally speaking, a pretty mild winter, really strong LNG deliveries to Europe. So as of right near the end of March, in aggregate, gas stocks were about 26% full. And the EU is going to bring in legislation that will require storage sites to hit certain levels over the course of the summer in order to guarantee or increase some security of supply for the following winter. So according to that legislation, which is still, I would add, at the draft stage, storage sites will need to be 80% full by the start of November and will have to hit certain milestones over the course of the summer. Okay. And do you think we'll manage to do that if the relation with Russia stays as it is now? Uh, if Russian supplies to Europe remain uninterrupted as they have been so far, 
And if LNG deliveries to Europe are particularly strong, as price signals indicate they will be, then it shouldn't be too problematic to hit that 80% target by the start of November, I would say. Well, we've been talking a lot about Europe now. How are the markets outside of Europe reacting to what's happening in Europe? So markets outside of Europe, particularly in the Northeast Asian LNG buyers, have been very closely monitoring the situation in Europe and prices in those markets have really been tracking European hubs as they have been throughout this winter. The very high European prices has pushed many Asian buyers out of the spot market for LNG supplies and particularly what we would call opportunistic buyers who would take LNG when the price is right, um, such as in India, have been pushed out of the market. It remains to be seen how strong Northeast Asia's demand for LNG will be in the summer. That will depend on a number of factors, such as the weather. If it's a hot summer in Northeast Asia, then cooling demand could be very high, and that would increase the need for LNG cargoes and Economic activity is obviously another important factor to look out for. If COVID-19 continues this resurgence in China, that could mute its economic activity, industrial demand, and therefore its need for LNG. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Natasha. I will get back to you in a minute. I first wanted to go to Justin now to look at the power markets. The mix of energy sources in the power market has changed. So Justin, with what power generation mix is Europe trying to keep power prices under control? Yes. Um, well, it's a total change in mindset this year to what we uh, were seeing last year or even a couple of years ago. And everything that's going on in the power markets is completely underwritten by what's happening in the gas markets. So as the gas prices have gone so high, then that's pushed the power prices up so much as well. And so what countries across Europe are trying to do now is to consider ways that they can diversify the generation mix and effectively move away from gas-fired generation, which is a huge amount taking Russian gas. So a lot of countries are extending uh, coal-fired plant lifespans. Generally a year ago, two years ago, the mindsets were decarbonizing the power markets. And so there were fixed coal-fired plant closure dates that some countries were even getting ahead of. What we've seen this year is because the gas prices are so high, gas-fired generation is so high, there's much more coal-fired generation coming into the power mix. And some countries which are the largest markets in Europe, so Germany, uh, France, for example, are looking at ways that they can keep coal plants running in the short term, potentially into next year, especially with the uh, next winter, and just looking to see what they can do to either keep the prices down because the impact on suppliers and consumers has been pretty noticeable across the whole continent, but also the market has just been pushing gas-fired generation out. So yeah, loads of coal-fired generation, much more than we were expecting is the overall story so far. And about that coal-fired generation, what are the scenarios you see? Do you think this is a temporary solution or do you see a long uh, future again for coal-fired power plants? So uh, it seems very much that the, the governmental policies are this will be temporary. Generally, the long-term plan is what it has been, which is to move to markets which are made up of primarily renewables and storage with traditionally the way of looking at 
fossil fuel fired generation is that you'd have gas fired capacity online to meet peak demand. But yeah, the shift of mindset in terms of coal fired generation does seem temporary. The countries that are looking to extend their coal fired plant lifespans are still trying to stick to the coal fired plant closure dates. Mostly uh, Germany in particular is still looking to have all its coal and lignite closed by 2030. France, we're still waiting for an outlook from the grid operator on exactly how tight supply would be over the next winter. So their coal fired closure dates might be pushed back a little bit. But uh, also the other sort of noticeable change in how the generation mix could shift on a lot more long term basis is with more countries looking to either build or extend the lifespans of nuclear plants, which again comes under the whole umbrella of trying to increase energy supply security and do so in a way that diversifies the generation mix away from gas fired generation. Okay, thanks. More on those nuclear power plants you mentioned. I know, for example, Germany and Belgium are reconsidering the plans to shut them down early. She mentioned, what are your expectations in the future? Do you think there will be a nuclear renaissance needed? Is this also a temporary thing? Well, I think you chose the perfect word there to say renaissance because France made a huge switch in its nuclear policy. Well, we're in April now, so this was in February where they had previous plans to reduce nuclear to 50% of the generation mix by 2035. But then they came out and said they are actually going to look to build around 25 gigawatts more uh, nuclear capacity. So big structural shift there. In Germany, they're still sticking to their plans to close all their nuclear plants by the end of this year. There have been some, I would say, very light discussions about how this could change going forward, but there's certainly been nothing to indicate that they are actually going to keep any of the nuclear plants running beyond the dates that they had already stuck to. Uh, Belgium, you mentioned as well, actually they've had a bit of a turnaround as well. They were due to close all their nuclear plants by 2025, but now they're going to keep two of the plants online for another 10 years. Um, so again, just looking at ways that they can keep prices lower uh, and also ensure supply security domestically and within the regional markets. Yeah, so big changes in coal and nuclear. How about the European renewable energy sources? How are they performing? Yeah, so generally it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of renewables. In Q1 so far, we've just got up to the end of Q1. So looking back at how things have been then, February was generally very windy uh, across Central Western Europe. But then in March, it wasn't very windy, um, apart from we had a few um, times in the UK when uh, we had the quite strong storm. So we had a lot of wind then, but uh, generally in the short term, so I'd say over the last couple of weeks in particular, we've seen very low wind in Germany. And when you have low wind in Germany, it really dominates prices in the surrounding markets. And at a time when prices are already incredibly high because gas fired plants are in a lot of markets still setting the price. Uh, all it takes is some low wind to really, really push prices up. And you really see a lot of volatility on a day-to-day -day basis because of this. Okay. Um, Natasha and Justin, a question for both of you. What are your expectations for the rest of the year? So what kind of scenarios are you looking at for both gas and power markets? And mainly, what should we look out for? Well, the thing that everyone will be looking out for throughout the coming weeks and months is if Russian gas supplies to Europe will be disrupted and if that happens what the next steps would be for you know, rationing demand. Aside from that I would say the thing to look out for would be how that EU legislation on filling gas storage sites 
um, pans out. It's still at the draft stage and how individual countries will um, implement those targets. The need to refill storage sites injection demand is a huge driver of overall gas demand in Europe in the summer months when heating needs are a lot lower. Aside from that, it will also be key to look out for new infrastructure projects announced by governments. There are lots of plans to increase LNG import capacity, um, so it will be key to look out for when those plans could be implemented. And I'm sure we'll hear more on that in the coming weeks and months. And uh, do you have any idea on when we can expect the uh, EU legislation on gas storage? Um, Did the EU give give a, a timeline or a deadline on when we can expect it? I'm not entirely sure on the date for that, but the Commission did say in the latest iteration of the draft, the Commission asked countries and national regulators to act as if the legislation had already been passed. That is to say, to already define their own national rules to, to comply with the overall EU rules. Okay. Justin, for the power markets, what should we look out for according to you? Yeah, quite a few different things. Um, just sticking with the fundamental side, obviously we're we're likely to see a lot more coal-fired generation throughout the year than we've seen over previous years. Looking at the theoretical profit margins of coal-fired plants versus gas-fired plants, coal-fired plants are way, way ahead of gas-fired plants for the rest of this year. So we're likely to see more and more coal-fired plants and potentially, of course, depending on what happens with the gas supplies to Europe, we may see more coal-fired plant lifespans being extended. Um, we didn't say that much about the UK, but we are expecting a energy security strategy document coming out from the government anytime now. It's been delayed a couple of weeks already. So we'll be looking to see what policy changes are going to be in place there to ensure supply security in the UK. Um, just a quick mention of Spain as well, where they're looking to implement some quite significant policy changes in terms of capping the amount that gas fired plants would pay for their gas. So essentially that would put a cap on power prices to some degree. And one thing which sort of encompasses just the general energy commodity trading landscape, um, the cost of trading has become significantly higher than it has been over the last few years. And I know EFET has said a few things about the extra costs that companies are having to pay for their margin payments now, which is making trading significantly more difficult and expensive. So just keeping an eye on how companies are really able to cope with that could have some impact on the way the market functions. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much to both for taking the time to record our podcast for a second time. Hopefully we'll not have any more super crazy things happening in the market. This concludes our Energy Markets Talk podcast. Thank you for listening to Natasha Fielding and Justin Colley, Gas and Power Markets Editors of Argus Media. And see you next time. You have been listening to the Inlet and Friends Energy Transitions podcast. For more podcast recordings relating to the energy transition, please visit enlit.world. Bye for now.